Hello and welcome to the Tribal Podcast. We believe that true deep learning occurs when three things happen. You must one, understand, two, remember, and three, deliberately practice your newly acquired knowledge. And this podcast covers the first part, understand. Complete this learning by getting the second and third part at mytribal.com. That's M-Y-T-R-I-B-E-L.com. So together, let's get the key takeaways from this book understood. Our guest today is Aoife Sheehy, an experienced psychometrics consultant, coach, and corporate trainer and founder of Attain.ie. The Attain platform is for companies looking to retain top talent through tailored development, and Attain specialize in areas of personality, behaviors, and emotions at work. And you can find out more at attain.ie. That's A-T-T-A-I-N.ie. So hello and welcome, uh, Aoife from uh, Attain. Tell us, what, what is, what's the book we're going to be talking about today? And give us a brief overview of it. Perfect. Okay, so hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me. So I, the book that I chose today is called Dark Social, and it's by Ian McRae. He's an organizational psychologist. The main reason I chose this book is it is the last leadership book that I have read. (laughs) So it suited what you asked me for. Um, So I guess the overview of the book is it kind of does two things, right? So there's a discussion primarily around social media and its impact on us as human beings, right? Um, The book is about personality and our behaviors online. And then it ties into leadership and what that looks like in the workplace. Okay. Okay. So the book actually rounds off at the end by giving some examples of case studies and also kind of, it's sort of like a framework of how not to let a toxic leadership develop in your organization. So let me just recap that to make sure I'm getting it right. So we're going to talk about, you know, the, the poison that is social media and then how that can infect a company is that, or how that can inf- uh, infect uh, a leader in a company. Is that what you mean? Well, I suppose the book in general is basically talking about personality and then our behaviors are that fluid part of our personality. Okay. So it, I guess talking in terms of social media, it's essentially the world that we live in, right? Um, it's an extension of our lives now. It's yeah. a huge part of how we communicate, especially after the pandemic. Um, and then it moves into using that dark side of the personality and then what that looks like in the workplace, okay. right? Gotcha. Because every human being, it doesn't matter who they are, they have, you know, the bright side and the dark side, or some people say the shadow and the light. Um, our personality is built of all these different components. So what the book really does and ends with is talking about understanding that in yourself, in others and at work and how that impacts our organizations. So if you think about something like culture, for example, culture is not a structure or it's not something that we create. It happens organically. It happens, yeah. 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 So does that... So, yeah, I get you now. So, so okay. So give us... Um, so before we start recording, you said there was 23 chapters. I'm not going to go through each chapter <laughs> yeah. one at a time. So um, give us the gist then of like each section then or, you know, what's covered in the book. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I guess at the beginning of the book, it talks about, right, it looks at dark side of personality and behavior in life, right? So that's your first section. And so what it does is it builds a foundation and it teaches us a little bit about how personalities are formed, right? And how they're shaped. Um, so I think people will be familiar with things like nature versus nurture, et cetera. Um, but it moves into then, you know, our behavioral piece of our personality, right? Because that's essentially the most obvious. Okay. Um, and it talks in this section as well, a little bit about, is it the person that's necessarily bad or the environment that they're in? And that's how that's the first piece that you see really tying into the organizational structure, right? Because you can have someone who has certain traits of the dark side of their personality and they that might help them to lead in a like a social environment or whether it's online and social media or whether it's in the organization but then you have the people who have the dark side of their personality that's not necessarily because it's not all aggressive right so the dark side of their personality might be more inclined to just go along with something that is wrong or be easily influenced rather than someone who will set out to be doing something negative from the get-go and be conscious of that, right? So in terms of in that set first section, it does focus primarily on, you know, cyberspace and our behavior online. But essentially what we're talking, what this is framing up is that personality and behavior, they're not different online and offline, right? We are who we are. We don't change who we are just because we're online. It's just that in certain environments, it makes it easier for us to show off these dark sides of our personality. Okay. Yeah. Um, and again, that is tied in later on in the book, which into the leadership side of a toxic environment, et cetera, in the workplace. Isn't there some quote like, I don't know, um, stuff online always gets to Hitler uh, sooner rather than later, but I have a thought about this because actually watching a documentary about, you know, the Nazis and Hitler and all that. And, um, like you're saying, like the whole of the German people were kind of swept up in this, you know, mm. idea of Nazism and, you know, crazy ideas. Yeah. And is that kind of like the same thing, like where it's not necessarily, it's like you said, you, you touch on something there that people are not necessarily evil, but by not taking action, you know, they're, that's their dark side coming out or just kind of going along with something that they're, isn't there some quote about like for, oh, what is it? I shouldn't have said that because I can't think of the quote now, but it's something like, um, for evil things to happen it just takes good people to do nothing it's something yeah. like that yeah there's or some quote like that. yeah yeah it's interesting you say that because i did see something i don't know was it on youtube or instagram or something recently and it was um it was definitely a quote but i don't know where it came from but yeah essentially what it's saying is that one bad person doesn't equal a bad thing happening or a bad environment being created yeah what happens in an environment is that you have if you take any group of people right whether it's 30 people if a company is made up of 30 people or if a company is made up of 5,000 people no matter what group of people you put together whether it's in a social environment at work in your family even there'll naturally be one person who becomes the natural leader of that group, right? But that doesn't mean that they are necessarily the best leader for that group. They just yeah. might have the personality that means that they'll naturally put themselves forward for that role or graduate into it, right? Yeah. Then you'll always have someone who is comfortable enough in their own personality 
to stand up for what they think is right and wrong, irregardless of whether that's in line with the leader or the group, right? And then what you'll tend to have in the middle is a whole cohort of people because we have a primal instinct to feel safe in an environment of people, whether it's three people or 5,000, right? The whole majority of the people in that cohort are going to probably move towards that leader, okay? Yeah. And go along with whatever is having the largest impact. So that's, that's essentially what you're describing, yeah. right? Like that's a natural environment of, or that's a natural culture that would happen with whatever group of people that you put together. And it doesn't mean that the leader is right or wrong or that the person who's happy to go against the leader is right or wrong, okay? What it means, I suppose what I'm trying to get at is that it's, we're completely rational, right? We are led by our emotions. We're not led by facts and figures, okay? So if we feel like it's safer to follow one section or one idea, we'll follow that even if we know in our heart and soul that it's wrong. Joe, you know, I, I read something else the other day that kind of, I think, ties in with what you're saying there, that um, the people don't want to be free. They want to be safe. And they'll, yeah. they'll do whatever it takes to be safe and yeah. give up their freedom if, if it means going along with the, the bad guys and you know want to say what yeah. they say because then we'll be safe then um again back to the nazis that that i would imagine that's like it reaches a tipping point more than half of the people are going along with the bad thing and then well if, jesus let's go along with that then because that seems to be the 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 safest it's it's tribalism really yeah. like it's just you know kind of going along with the tribe so exactly that's exactly what it is yeah and you know, it's interesting actually that you bring that up because it feeds really into themes that happen in this book, because essentially what we need to do or what we need to be more comfortable with as human beings in general is that, you know, being OK with every part of us. Right. And under being OK with being open enough to understanding that in ourselves and in others, that's what creates a healthy environment and that's what creates um you know, that's what kind of goes up against like polarization, right? Which is another theme that's addressed in this book um, later on in the book, actually. But, you know, when we, and this is part of, I suppose, why the author talks about social media and then ties it into something like leadership and organization. You know, if we think about when we're online, it's a lot easier for something like polarization to happen, right? Because it's one thing or the other. The algorithms yeah. are taking us into different places. We're not really fully aware of that, but you know, that's how behaviors are changed because the, our behaviors are where our habits are formed. They're where it's the fluid part of our personality where we, which will push us in one direction or another or form new behaviors to suit whatever it is that we're exposing ourselves to at any given time. And then re having that safety aspect that reinforces those behaviors is, you know, where you get those polarization pieces. Um, but to challenge that and being critical you know, being comfortable enough to be critical and even cynical of what's going on around us, other people and ourselves, for the most part ourselves, right? Um, that's where we move more into that being comfortable enough to create that healthy environment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's your, Jesus, you're saying some fascinating stuff there. I'm just trying to process it all. Let's go back to the to the very beginning of the book you said about um, yeah, I think the book said about where personalities come from. Yeah. I have, I have, um, 
armchair expertise in this because yeah. I read some so I'm going to tell well, you my I, expertise. I've also been <laughs> having the armchair beside you, so I'll just take that very clear. <laughs> Good, great. This has got to go perfectly. What, what could go wrong here? Uh, here? Here's my understanding, right? I remember talking before. So I used to, I used to people have listened to this podcast before, and I've mentioned this, I used to deliver study skills to, to students. Yeah. Um, like memory techniques and you know um, mind maps and efficiency yeah. and all that kind of stuff and uh, one of the things I remember I used to tell them was that your personality like when you're born you're basically like a, a blank canvas mm-hmm. and you take in your beliefs and your value your values and your opinions uh, from whoever's closest to you up until yeah. about the age of five and then when you're five your critical faculty develops I think that's what it's called where like it's almost like a, a, a bullshit filter that's what I used to tell the kids that your bullshit filter comes in and suddenly then you don't need any more information I know I know how everything goes I know what, what's happening in the world and that's when five-year-olds start to offer more opinions that they weren't asked for but like I see it with my own kids so they they'll like when, when they're under five they'll believe anything you tell them and then yeah. after five they start questioning things a, a little bit more so that's my understanding where personality comes from is that you, you, it's almost like you're on download mode for the first five years and then you kind of render all that into a personality and then kind of put that back out into the world uh, through your through your bullshit filter, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. How's that for expertise? Any good? <laughs> so, okay. I... All nonsense. <laughs> so, um, it's. So, okay, this is really interesting because this is touched on in this book, right? So obviously this book is about the dark side of the personality, right? Yeah. So it's one one aspect of our personality, for example, um, that is composed of different traits, right? And the book itself breaks down into clusters A, B, and C, and then it goes into detail about what's, you know, involved in those different clusters and the different traits. Um, I'm not gonna go into like a whole host of detail involved in it but just in reference to what you were saying there the book does actually address this question okay so it talks about different studies and it references where about 50 to 70 percentile of things like personality disorders right because that's essentially what you're looking at if you're talking about extremes of the dark side of personality we all have a dark side of our personality right when you're moving into getting past those um getting to the extreme or the higher end of the normative groups that's when you're moving into looking at a personality disorder right when something's gone to its extreme and what's actually been found in research is that when you are talking about personality disorders 50 to 70 around that roughly that figure of percentile can actually be hereditary so it's in people's genetics so people some people who have a personality disorder it it's been her it's it's hereditary yeah. <laughs> the point that i'm trying to make so really interesting that you bring that up because you know obviously our early years our formative years our teenage years are very formative as well right you move into that space that's when yeah. you're really and the book addresses this as well right that's when you're really moving into that being formed by your social experiences right because now what happens is kind of when we're born when we're born like an experience or sorry an example of how our personalities are formed in our very formative years like zero to three right um you know with babies in their first like six to twelve months you're talking about mirroring right so yeah the parents you know what i'm 
getting to so if I'm smiling at the baby a lot the the baby starts to understand emotions that way that that's what happy means and this is positive right so that's really important for early developmental um and then when you move into those primary years and they're developing their own personalities like you're talking about that five-year stage that's really influenced by the parents, right? That's why you'll have kids going into school and saying, well, my dad said this and my my dad is Superman or whatever, you know, it's, it's so off the wall, it's so exaggerated, but it's because his dad said it, it must be true, yeah. right? Yeah. And I'm smiling because it's so nice, you know? You think yeah, it's it. lovely, yeah. <laughs> it's so nice. yeah. And that's, they're, they're those formative years of that part of their personality. And then when you move into the teenage years, that's when you have this like, you know, a natural divide, I suppose, because it's your peer group who are now influencing that part of you. Because now you're learning about outside of the house, outside of the parents, outside of whoever the caregiver was in those early developmental years, right? So you're like really moving into being shaped by these social experiences now. And that's what forms that part of the personality, you know? Um, I feel like I've gone off on such a tangent now that I, I'm, I've moved far from your question or statement but no you're we were just talking about where personality comes from so you're 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 on the right track there so the, yeah so essentially then it comes down to and I, I guess like when if we were all of us to kind of sit back and think about where we came from and why do I think what I think and why do I mm-hmm. believe what I believe it where else is it going to come from other than your environment like that yeah co- and what's interesting as well is that like I I feel like I I I get to talking about my kids sooner rather than later in every podcast I do, but I am going to talk about them just for a second. When we had our first daughter, um, her name's Aoife, actually. Uh, when we had Aoife, like, you know, she kind of watched her kind of grow and develop and stuff and um, then had this, a second daughter and she was completely different. And we were like, this isn't news to anyone. Listen, like kids are different, you know, but it's fascinating to think like they came from the same place, raised in the same environment, have completely different outlooks on life you know yeah. just even like what they're into and stuff and then we had a third child so we had three kids and I had a boy and when my wife was pregnant with him we were thinking I don't even know how another child could be different again like the two girls are so different what's what does different again look like it's but then like it's interesting how there's obviously like a certain amount that kind of comes pre-programmed or something in them but then you know, it's I, I find it fascinating to think where our personalities come from and and you know, like our 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 middle child, Neve, she's a wind up merchant, right? She'll you know, she she winds up her little brother. He, just ridiculous stuff and, and he'll he'll say, No, it isn't, and she'll go, Yes, it is. And he'll get <laughs> ma- he'll get yeah, he'll get madder and madder, and she'll take like a comedic beat. He'll go, No, it isn't, and she'll just say nothing and then go. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, he, and me and my wife are like holding our noses, trying not to laugh. Oh, God. <laughs> Neve, leave him alone. <laughs> Those kind of things. I, like, it's, it's, she's a comedian, like, and she knows she's doing it. And she's only five, like, and she knows she's winding them up, and she's getting yeah. a kick out of it. And we shouldn't be laughing, of course. It's terrible, but <laughs> it can't help being funny. But, yeah. but, like, where does that come from? I Like, it's strange, like, how, how the same environment can, can result in different person personalities i suppose yeah i know i mean look i don't have any kids right um but obviously i've heard this this story right yeah. different families and i think i often wonder to myself like and i suppose obviously i'm not a psychologist either so i can't get into the kind of nitty-gritty of it but 
you know, like I'm very, I suppose myself and my, I have one sister and we would have like, we have similarities definitely, you know, there's kind of a thing, things like values and pieces yeah. like that, that we, like we would agree a lot on, on kind of topics, I suppose, and opinions and things, but then our personalities are really different and our personality styles and, you know, you'd wonder if you're growing up around someone who is like X, will you naturally move into Y because you're being, you know, one person? Is it, if you have a person who's passive, is it easier for someone else to develop that active part of themselves or vice versa? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 There's, there's, yeah. Like, are you going along with something or are you reacting to something because you want to be an individual? It's like twins or something like that. Sometimes they'll be exactly the same. Other times they rebel against each other and they couldn't be more different. Like it's anyway, back to the book. So personalities come from somewhere. Then what happens? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess I better start moving out of the first section, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, essentially, I suppose, look. So that's chapter so, one out of 23, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> that's where we are so far. <laughs> My overview, which never ends up being an actual overview. Um, yeah, I guess, look, one of the key parts of, or the key takeaways from this first section is talking about personality and behaviours. We are who we are. We're the same online as we are offline. But if we are in an environment that makes it easier, and this is, I'm focusing on the workplace here, if you have a workplace that is okay with a certain um, culture, right, and that's the environment you've created, you can expect people's dark sides to feed right into that, okay? So, you know, if people can get away with certain things a lot easier in your company than they might do somewhere else, that's what's going to happen, right? Um, But in terms of talking about that, that social media impact on our lives, and again, just a piece that is kind of, I suppose, important, especially coming out of where we've been with and the future of work, I suppose, as well. You know, the way that we're communicating now is very different, right? Some people are going to work hybrid forever. Some people are going to work at home forever, right? And if you think about things like communication channels, like Slack, for example, right, that's been around for a long time, but it's still kind of new, something that might be considered new to some organizations. Um, the book talks about like conditioning right so our relationship to certain sounds for example so moving out of the social media space where we might have if i get an instagram notification right the likeliness is that that's one of my friends contacting me so it might you know i'll get an influx maybe feeling that like dopamine or yeah positive it, anyway. it's, it's positive right yeah so but if I'm at work, okay, and even if it doesn't necessarily have to mean that, like, my boss has a very negative personality or is, you know, a stereotypical negative person or aggressive or anything like that or a toxic leader. But if I have, say, for example, I'm someone who is, I don't feel stressed a little bit more than someone else. I might start to associate the sound of my email going off or the sound of a Slack message with something that instills a stress response in me. Okay. Um, And then, so you can imagine like to context that a little bit, you can imagine that if I do have a boss who is quite aggressive or maybe a bit of a bully, then that's going to be exasperated even more. So if you think about the amount of emails you get every day or the amount of times that you might hear the Slack mess, like sound, the impact that that can have on a person in their day-to-day lives five days out of the week um that can lead to a very 
a, a high stress environment let's say yeah it's like it's like a it's like yeah. a drip feed of like of stress every time you hear that ding or something like it's yeah. and sometimes it's so i would imagine it, it can be so low key of a drip Mm -hmm. oh like the, it just kind of builds up over a day or over a week and you think i've got this low level anxiety and i don't know where it's coming from yeah yeah exactly yeah because I, I, I do you know what's actually funny just for for people listen if anyone cares we're recording this on uh on google meet and when you open google meet you know the little ding that it makes that gives me that sense of stress and i don't know why like like because, so again just for anyone who cares i got onto the call before Eva did and even just me opening it by myself, it makes the ding sound. And when I hear that sound, I, I get this like a split second of dread. And I don't know why. It's like, I've never had a bad experience with Google Meet, right? Like, I don't know. I don't, like, it's it's a strange one, but I definitely understand what you're saying there. Like that, that little drip feed of stress is, uh, it's real. Like, well, it's real for me. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's real. It's real for everyone. It just depends on what it is. That's what your so trigger is. Yeah, yeah. What your trigger is. So like, you know, if you think about it, someone might love the people that they work with, but hate the work that they do. Yeah. So in that context, the sound of Google Meet or the sound of an email or whatever it is, that will have that impact on a person. Mm. Now, it'll be easier if you're working with people that you do have good relationships with. But, you know, like it, it's micro, right? So yeah. it's that consistency like you referenced over time. And essentially, I suppose the point that I'm coming to here is talk about our own, our own response to that, right? So how we manage our own behavior, or sorry, how we manage our own boundaries, for example, right? Like boundaries, a conversation I have with people a lot is that boundaries don't happen, that boundaries happen in the middle, they don't happen in the extremes, right? So when we talk about something like social media, or if we're talking about so managing emails, you know, like, a, like as a coach or as a consultant, a lot of conversations I might have around time management. So looking at like a time management matrix mm. and emails are one of the first things that always come up. We tend to naturally go straight to our email if an email comes in rather than organizing what's relevant and what isn't. Yeah. Um, so that's that's setting boundaries, right? Managing your time. Okay. If we take about it in a simple context like social media, and if you have one end of your um extreme, like one extreme is being addicted to social media, using an awful lot. And then the other extreme is not having any social media and cutting it out of your life, right? Even if you're in that other extreme of avoiding it, that's what you're doing. You're avoiding it. It's not making it go away. It's a huge part of our lives. It's the way that we communicate. It doesn't mean that you are heavily influenced by something like Instagram, right? It can be 4chan. It could be Discord. Like, you know, it could be even... It, you know, it's it's different things, different people, but the boundaries happen in the middle. The boundaries happen when you can have that comfort level because you've set up structures and managed your own time and decided I'm only going to look at discord from after 6 p.m. Right. And then I'm going to enjoy it for the time that I use it. And then I'm going to move away from it and be OK with that. So it's having that that part in the middle where you're figuring out what works for you and what doesn't and then setting up those boundaries but avoidance leads to a whole host of other things right yeah. so um yeah i mean i i again i'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here but it is just another really key takeaway i think from this book and it's important to understand that we are responsible for our own time and as a result of that our own behavior and managing what influences that is 
something that we we kind of need to become comfortable with do you know it reminds me of a um again something else i read a long time ago um i think a guy wrote a book about this but i think he originally got the idea from victor frankl's book did you ever read this book oh yeah man's search for meaning yeah and um in that book, he talks about, you know, stimulus and the and response and, you know, something happens and then it, between the stimulus and, and the response, there's a gap and in that gap lies man's freedom to decide how he will react. But I remember reading this thing before about this guy had this equation. I think he wrote a book about it and he called it E plus R equals O. And E is the event, the thing that happens. And yeah. the example I used to always give is like you're walking into a building and the person in front of you lets the door swing into your face. Like that's an event you can't control. You can't stop that. And then the O is the outcome. So the outcome is like what you feel about that event, but the or, so it's E plus or equals O, or is your response. And that's where your power lies is in your response. So it's the same, the similar thing, like it's maybe a bit of a simplified version, but it's the same thing that if you, the event could be social media or your emails or whatever, that's, you can't stop somebody from emailing you. Yeah. But you can affect your response to that to give you the outcome and the outcome should hopefully be something kind of healthy and you know not avoidance and not total addiction either like it should be somewhere in the middle yeah exactly you've contextualized that really well and the outcome you know is something that we can control yeah but when we flow into these habits or these behaviors where we're giving up that control yeah that's when you know you can have an issue yeah, the, the, in that way, then, like your your emails control you. Every, like I'm in the middle of something, I'm you know, you know, in that flow state, and suddenly the thing goes ding, and I stop doing what I'm doing and go to the email and see what it is. Yeah. Like the emails are controlling my time rather than me controlling the the emails. And you should like it's it's such a email is such a weird thing. It's hard to shut it off because you you think, well, what if I miss a really important one? You know, what if yeah. what if it's time sensitive? And then you hear about people like who, uh, you know, they go on holidays and they say, um, I'm going to be away for two weeks. I'm going to delete all my emails as soon as I come back. So send it again after this date. Otherwise, I'm I'm never going to respond to it, which is like, oh, that's ballsy. <laughs> Balls of steel. Never, that is. Oh, my God. I've never heard someone say yeah, that. Yeah. So, so somebody will put like, you know, I'm Where away from. Where are they from, working? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I think it was a lot of, I think I remember reading about it before. Some people in Australia are like, um, you know, I'm, I'm away for two weeks. I'll be back on this date and on that date, I will delete every new email in my inbox. Wow. So if your email is important, send it again after this date and I'll read it, wow. which is genius. Cause you like after two weeks, you could come back to 800 emails. Like, well, just del- imagine the, 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 the deliciousness of just deleting 800 unread emails. <laughs> I don't care. I won't, I won't be reading it. So, and that's something I've heard people say before, like people who are like, you know, CEOs and stuff that like, well, if it's important, they'll send it again. Like if they really need me, they'll just send it again. You know, keep at me until I answer. So, well, absolutely. And I mean, if it is really important, someone will also phone you or do you know what I mean? Like people who have that, that need that access to you. Do you know what I mean? Because that's about well. And also like that makes me think about the culture of the organization, right? So what culture is happening in those organizations that mean that people feel like they have that kind of access to someone that they can just bombard them with like nothing is that important yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah sometimes like i've had bosses previously send you an email and there's no point it was just amusing that they had about something like they just had this random three talks about (laughs) something they're working on like well i don't know what you want me to do with that is there an action there for me to do or are you just having a chat or what do you want you know and i think people on both sides both the the person sending the email and reading the email. People who are addicted to reading their e- emails is one thing, but then there's people who are just sending email for everything. 
or they have yeah. a meeting for everything you know again that's another place you could have boundaries yeah, like yeah. do i need to be in this meeting what is the agenda of this meeting like i and this but this is something that i think the pandemic has had a really positive impact on now yeah. some people will work in organizations where like you know people will talk to me and say they've been on zoom all day long and it's the same even today but the pandemic has definitely helped to kind of filter out those meetings about a meeting or you know like which is just so frustrating and so unconstructive and such a waste of people's time yeah. um but fortunately from what i can see i think companies are just moving out of those cultures and it's just not acceptable anymore like people are becoming more respectful of other people's time well i think i don't know if it's just the, the industry that you and i are in but it seems like there's an awful lot more talk about wellness and you know Mm. putting in those boundaries and letting people switch off and um yeah you know, having flexibility and you know actually a big thing as well is is the the nine to five is dead and gone like it's it should always always be about tasks completed not yeah i sat at my desk you know tapping on my keyboard for eight hours with an hour an hour long lunch break it's that's one Absolutely. thing that's come out of the pandemic as well i think is that idea that an eight hour work day is kind of silly because I might be able to get all my work done in three hours if I just hammer through it. And then what am I supposed to do then? Like, do I, I could do three hours worth of work and then I need lots of other people to come back to me so I can continue. So what should I do for the rest of those five hours if you're paying me for an eight hour day? And like, it's, it's silly to think about things in terms of time. It should be about output. Well, I think that you've touched on something there. It's really interesting because this is a perfect opportunity for companies to build trust in organizations. When you can adopt that fluid, uh, flexible working is what it's called, right? Where you are telling someone, I trust you enough as an adult to do your job. Yeah. And I know, and here, here's what, what it boils down to Kevin, right? And I've seen this for years, like working as a consultant. If a company is organized enough to track the output of a person's role, which is their responsibility as an organization anyway, right? I mean, that is in my opinion, but I, I would mm. say it's across the board, right? Um, I don't think I'm wrong in that. It's a company's responsibility to track the output and the progress of the roles that they are creating inside their organization. And if they've put you into one of those roles, if they can come to you and say like, I trust you enough to do this role, that's why I hired you. That's why I moved you into this role, right? And if I can see that I'm getting out of that role what I need to for my organization to function correctly, then do it when you when it suits you or when not necessarily to say like that you're going to say to every it's it's not about I think what happens like at the top or in terms of like organizational structure or the people that are responsible for that, there's a fear around giving someone too much responsibility or yeah. making it feel like they can do whatever they want, right? But it, again, this is coming back to the boundaries. The companies need to organize themselves to set the boundaries and make sure that they're very clear and then track the progress of the roles. And that means that Kevin or Etha or whoever is the employee knows I'm trusted in my role to get my role done, okay? Yeah. And then, if that means working flexibly or if that means working for seven hours on a Tuesday, because that's what has to happen. And then I can work for three or four on a Wednesday or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, that, and I mean, again, look, the pandemic is pushing us into that place. Companies have to kind of adopt a huge part of that is the great resignation, obviously, because companies yeah. really just need to kind of 
start supporting their people in, in, enough to keep them. Um, yeah. But yeah. I've got, to, I've got to say one more thing, then we'll get back to the next point yeah. in the book. But I, I uh, previously worked for Salesforce and that was like a real revelation to oh, me too. that yeah. we, worked for a, we worked in two week sprints and just, just get this done in the next two weeks and we'll, we'll check in once a week and see how you're going. And my manager was like, what do you need from me? Like, I, yeah. I was like, um, actually, if you could get this person to send me on this thing, it'll really help me. Yep, grand. And she was like, she was a brilliant. Mavis was her name. She, she was brilliant at like, um, being what a manager should be like is to, is to help me do my job. What barriers yeah. do you need me to get out of the way for you that you can, you can crack on? Like, so that was like, that was what was interesting for me in, in Salesforce is was that two week sprint and sure do it whenever you want like no no one ever said like your hours are nine to five or you should be here then and leave this yeah time. just do do whatever just get the work done like just, who cares you know do it in the middle so of the night if you want yeah that's a prime example and salesforce yeah. has such good reputation yeah you know? yeah great company great company i actually yeah. joined there uh two weeks before we went into the first lockdown and then left after a year but um anyway whole other story gets get back uh, to the book that, that's really interesting yeah um so especially for you to be able to say that as well having gone through a pandemic is really a good sign of a mm. of an organization but they're like yeah. are they in like the top 10 in great place to work every year and we're yeah. not very saying but that's a, a a surefire way of knowing but it's a good indication though anyway. the, it comes from the ceo down he was all about like um wellness and you know your mental yeah. health and they did uh they'd be throwing money at you like to to get meditation apps or you know take yoga classes whatever like they yeah and they like and again that's another great thing that a great really good companies do they understand that if you burn your people out by working them to the bone and they leave mm-hmm. like yeah you maybe you'll replace them but like you're much better off having somebody there for the long term that you know really gets embedded into the culture and embedded into the company and and bought into what what the company is trying to achieve like that's I don't know about you, but that's what I want to build with tribal is, is, is that kind of culture where you're, you know, people understand what we're trying to achieve and you can kind of keep people in the company for, you know, a long time rather than kind of just burning through people and replacing them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I'm actually glad you said that because that's, what's interesting about tribal and attain is that we're essentially in that way, both trying to do the same thing because yeah. what we're doing is supporting people and being able to consistently see what your organic culture is so that you can support people enough so that they do stay long term and that you can like solidify those succession plans because you've built this healthy culture in your company and people want to stay there. But mm-hmm. like going back to the wellness piece, I mean, what's naturally happened in companies is that unfortunately they've been forced into having to consider wellness and what happens as a result of HR departments being under pressure, et cetera, is that it becomes a tick the box exercise because we know, okay, we have to be seen to be doing something about wellness. What can we do? Here's an app. Great. How much does it cost? Let's allocate that to everyone each month or what, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I suppose going back to the book in that sense, when you talk about that dark side of personality and essentially what this is helping you to understand is that, you know, looking being comfortable enough in looking at that and understanding that for example like the dark side that's what's essentially going to have the impact on what your organizational culture is okay because i know i mentioned earlier you have your dark side and you have your light side right so when someone's under extreme pressure or stress 
And when you consider people at the top of an organization, so your partners, your directors, then your senior leadership teams, or they, you know, they're your senior leadership team, but moving down into your senior management, et cetera, and how culture comes from the top. These are the roles that will inevitably have the most pressure um, as, a, as a part of that role, right? And we'll probably see that the, the stressors for the most part of the organization. When someone is under pressure, that's when their dark side is having, you know, is coming out. That's when they're, um, I suppose, that's what's having the most impact on them. But then as a result, what's happening around them and as a result, the organization, if that's the position that they're in. So when you talk about Salesforce, like you can see that possibly the dark side in those um, senior leaders will be a little bit different to the dark side in a company where they now have a toxic culture, right? Because that's what's inevitably going to have the impact on the culture organically. So moving into, I suppose, the next section, third section is that having that comfortable piece in understanding that understanding every part of us is what's going to lead to developing what you, you know, your ideal, a healthy culture uh, for ourselves on a personal level, having that understanding of every part of us is the initial where you start to develop, right? Because what are you developing if you don't understand where the development requirement is? Yeah. So, um, so far then, is it, is it fair to say that the, the, the key thing we've managed to get after 47 minutes, but the, the, key, the key thing is that people are who they are and you have to accept them. Yeah. And you have to ensure that the dark side of their personality, if it is going to come out, isn't going to come out and infect the culture in a, in too toxic a way. Is that my, am, am I about right there? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So understanding how people different react to different scenarios and if they're under pressure and under stress and then off the back of that you get the information on how to support them right yeah that's the first step and the main step in building a healthy and resilient team or a culture um and also a huge part of that is understanding that the dark side while one trait in dark side is, might be something like aggressive or you know impulsive for example that could have a very negative impact on the immediate people in front of a person but other traits in terms of dark side might be something like um wary right or selfless yeah. okay so if you're extremely self selfless that fits into the dark side of your personality as well because that's a problem too yeah but it's more of a problem for the individual than it is for the others right and yeah, so let me just ask a question there and say, just to go back a couple of steps, you said somebody could be aggressive. Yeah. Um, and that's part of them, right? So somebody like who just has, for whatever reason, whatever way they were raised or their environment, they're, they're an aggressive person, at, at so, like when they're under stress. Is there something to be said for giving that person an outlet for that aggression? Like say, uh, you know, I, I don't know where, where, I don't know where that would be in a, in a business. Maybe like you can be aggressive in, in the amount of sales calls you make or something. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to shout and roar people, but you could just be, the aggression could be just be the, 
the volume of calls you get through or something like that is that is there anything to be said for giving an outlet you you've led so well into the next thing that i was going to say yes. right how you manage this <laughs> so this is exactly why we understand people at work okay because if someone is aggressive naturally aggressive they're going to be well suited to particular areas of your organization and understanding that part of them is what's going to help you to a leverage that part of their personality in example an area like sales but be understand it in terms of the support that that person needs, right? Yeah. So, you know, going back to even like you said about your outlet, but also understanding that it's probably not a great idea to put that person in a role where they are responsible or have a direct impact on a group of people, like, for example, a people management role, right? Yeah. Now, they might help to influence along that role, but that's one trait of their personality so you have to look at all the other pieces and how that fits together right but in isolation if we talk about something that's aggressive someone that is aggressive naturally that that is that is exactly what you need to do you need to understand it so that you can decide where is the best place for this person to be in my organization it reminds me of two different books that I've done for the podcast one is uh, surrounded by idiots I don't know if you've read that one. Oh yeah I've heard of it that's this period that's been all yeah yeah, but like four different personality types. And the other one then is uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. And he talks in that book about, um, you know, he was interested to know why why do some companies kind of trundle along for 20 years and all of a sudden they just skyrocket, like they just turn into this incredibly uh, successful company. What, what turns a good company into a great company? So he talks about getting the right, he talks about uh, who before what, so get the right people. You yeah. talked about getting people onto the bus. Get the right people onto the bus in the right seats before you talk about strategy or, you know, where we're going to focus our um, our uh, research and development or whatever the thing is. He, yeah. he talks about the who first, and then then we'll talk about. And that's it's such a clever point, and it ties into what you're saying there is that there's no point having a conversation about strategy and about you know where we're going to go as a company if you're having the conversation with all the wrong people that if the right people aren't in marketing and sales and in product development and whatever else. So what you're saying there, I think is, is to get the right people is to, is to understand their personality types and especially the dark side of their personality. And then f- try and funnel that into a useful part of the business, a useful yeah. part of the, of the company. And then once you've got everyone to kind of tie it into the Jim Collins book to get everyone on the, on the bus in the right seats, then you can start, driving the bus you can start think, talking about well what do we do now do we have everyone in the right position it's almost like a football team or something you wouldn't put the yes, goalkeeper exactly. in the striker's position kind of thing like you, everyone has a role to play everyone has a natural ability in some in some areas so kind of get them yeah. into those positions yeah that's actually such a good way of putting it when you think about it and actually that's probably why there's so many books written like you know in terms i think the last time we spoke we spoke about the what's that leadership book that was written about the all blacks oh legacy or yeah legacy yeah but i think so yeah definitely really good way of putting it because if you think about sports teams and how everyone has a role to play and you wouldn't have there's significantly different um requirements for each role and obviously we know that about organizations i mean things roles are dramatically different from each other but so are people and understanding who goes where um, is really important. But in terms of leadership and what this book does a really 
you know, really frames quite well and also supports in understanding and creating a framework for preventing the toxic leadership is that going back to kind of the beginning of our conversation, what's really important in terms of understanding when it comes to the dark side is that we don't necessarily know that someone is going to be, for example, manipulative, right? If we come across someone who is really good at being manipulative, we'll probably enjoy their company, yeah. right? You know, because that's what they're they're good at making us seem as though the social engineering, like, yeah, absolutely. So, essentially, so I suppose what I'm getting at there is that understanding that that's a trait of someone's personality means that they're going to be good again if you maybe if you go back to something like sales or depending on the kind of culture that you have with the organization or you what output you're looking for right and um, if someone could be really good like that at bringing people along right that is like the positive side of that dark trait let's say right yeah. but understanding that you know, when we go into work every day, if we meet someone who has that type, that dark side of their personality, we'll probably have a good time. You know what I mean? Like they're they're probably better experienced to be around than being around someone who's passive or, yeah. you know, that might be kind of probably has like stronger morals or something. Right. You probably enjoy their company a lot more, but you figuring out like where they're right and wrong for because if they if you have that person in a, a senior leadership like i'll just give you a little example of a story from a couple of years ago that i experienced which was an eye-opener for me um and the person that i was working with so um there was a company there's a company i was working with a coach who had been brought in to work with the company there were seven directors on the the board right so he'd been brought up brought in by six of the directors because they were essentially showing they wanted him to work one-on-one -on -one with the seventh director because yeah. their whole um you know what they framed it as was that he was an issue they were trying to actually move him out of the company and that's essentially what they were doing so he was brought in by the six to work with the seventh his when he came to me it was to do with an assessment right so doing assessments on this director and one the assessment that was actually looked at was a bespoke 360 right and that was what was completed and his feedback to me was essentially this guy doesn't want to change because he doesn't think he's the issue he thinks all the other six are the issue right and what their opinion and when we completed 360 and got back to the results it was absolutely fascinating to see because everything in the 360 was in line with what this seventh director was saying and it went completely against because obviously the other six directors had completed 360 and what they were positioning to be the truth let's say was the exact opposite of what every all the other teams in the organizations that completed the other senior managers and leaders and also a cohort of external clients who had completed this 360 one of the largest 360s i've ever seen worked on but it was black and white what was on the page and it was just so fascinating and so interesting to see the power of when you have a group of people together going back to like what we said at the beginning of this and it's really this book helps you to be educated and understand what this is in people right um i my assumption would be that what happened there was you had maybe one or two directors that decided they wanted this seventh director gone off the board 
and they managed to influence the other four or five or whatever it was. So right? the other the other four or five could see like that it's safer to go with these two lads because they've they seem to be kind of gravitating that, this way. So we'll go with them. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. That's what you were saying. And this is if you consider that's at the top of an organization, that the other organization has thousands of employees. So it's really that's why this book is so important in leadership. And that's yeah. why it's really important to understand what's going on under the surface, but not as a stick to, to beat people with. Right. And that's what this book educates you on. But to understand how to build a good framework to prevent toxic leadership in your organization um, and a toxic culture. Well, that's 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 a mad story, but I can understand it like that. Um, so one or two people kind of had this idea that this last guy was the problem. So they kind of manipulate the situation to pull in the, the, the neutrals, essentially. And yeah, and now it's six against one. Exactly. And yeah. that can be what's really interesting about this and what's interesting about needing to understand every side of ourselves and others is that that can be conscious or subconscious. Yeah. So you could have one or two people who they might have their own agenda for getting rid of this other person. And it might be a very conscious maneuver that was executed or what you could have is someone who firmly believes something that is incorrect, right? So they might be personally hurt by something, but it doesn't really have an impact on the organization, right? But because their feelings are telling them this is wrong, what this person has done to me or whatever it is, that rationalizes it for that human being, even if their assumption is incorrect. Yeah. Gosh, that's mad. All right, so that's chapter two that we've covered, I think, is it? Yeah. <laughs> no, we must be near. That, we, that is, that is that's, the, that's the conclusion. Yeah, yeah. So okay. I, the book is structured essentially talks about personality and behavior online, how we communicate, how that impacts us in our personal and our work environment. And then it goes into the it goes into the personality where it's developed from the different clusters of the dark side of the personality, and then it moves tying that all in together of the organization, the systems, what we create ourselves, how culture happens organically, and then how we can design companies to avoid a, a culture that we don't want to have. Yeah, it's it's a, and I would imagine as well, all of that is a constant project. It's not just something we're going to do in a week or two. Like it's just, you have to constantly be aware of, you know, all those moving parts and just trying to, get alignment i suppose yeah definitely um but my own personal opinion is that it's not a difficult thing to do it's just about having that openness to as was having that sort of trusting environment and and being creating processes right within your organization that you just adhere to and you educate your teams on adhering to and just continually doing that over time so that you have this consistent healthy environment happening um and like we mentioned earlier just managing those different personality traits and having them in the correct place so that that person is fulfilled but you're managing so that nothing comes out of control Aoife tell people where they can uh, find out more about what you do <laughs> um where they can find myself 
Yeah. Well, tell us about, about tell, tell, give okay. a quick pitch there about Attain. Tell us what Attain does. Okay. So, yeah, Attain. So, Attain is a project that I am working. Well, yeah. Okay. So, we are a startup, technically, idea, right? Um, but we are hoping to build quite soon. And essentially, what we are is an online platform. Myself and the author of this book are doing this together. He's obviously the science side of things. And <laughs> What Attain is, is it's a platform for your organization where your employees will have direct access all the time to their own personality information, but they have development specific to themselves coming off the back of that. So kind of like an LMS, but that's a little, it's more, it's tailored towards the person's personality rather than yeah. one size fits all model. Okay. And then the back end of our Attain platform is that um, the HR l and people management can have that consistent culture check happening right so even just straightforward things essentially what we're doing is automating the manual work that we do so i'm a consultant and coach for organizations and i work in the areas i came off the back of uh, psychometric assessments and you know engagement teams all those types of assessments that 360 spoke like i spoke about um because i work for a company called thomas international and that's where i met ian and Ian is an organizational psychologist who creates these assessments and essentially what this is the type of work that I or Ian might be doing manually with companies where we would take a culture check. They might complete everyone does the same personality assessment and then you look at in maybe something as simple as a pie chart what your culture actually looks like. And then you might compare it to if the company has values of their ideal, what they'd like it to look like or what they think it looks like. And so essentially what we're doing is automating that on the platform. Um, and that's what a chain is. And um, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like important work that you're doing. It sounds like it's going to be very valuable for um, for anyone who, who gets on board. Where's the best place yeah, for somebody to find out more? So I'm simply Aoife at attain.ie. You have to spell Aoife for um for a non-Irish people. <laughs> so A O I F E. Aofi. 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 Um so it's Aofi at attain Okay. Yeah, so I think at the moment I've yeah, our website is has been taken down. We just have a a demo i think in place at the moment so yeah that's the best place and obviously you can find us on linkedin and the book is dark social hey ofi thanks very much for being on the podcast it was a, a lesson i have to say it was great appreciate it likewise kevin thanks for having me hey before you go just a quick message about tribal and what we're all about we believe that true learning happens when you understand remember and deliberately practice your newly acquired knowledge. And this podcast just covered the first part. You now understand the key takeaways from this book. To help you remember them, we will send you three interactive summaries that accompany this episode to empower you to remember those key takeaways at the moment of truth. And then to really embed the knowledge from this episode, you can use the dedicated digital action log to set a time and a date to go out into the big bad world and deliberately practice the key takeaways. For all of this, and for all of our podcast episodes, head over to mytribal.com. Until next time.